Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. Here we are at midweek, and wow, plenty to talk about today. Uh, This RFS waiver story just keeps going. It's another chapter yesterday when Reuters broke the story about uh, the president in a meeting at the White House saying we've got to find a way to address farmer concerns about these RFS waivers. So the, uh, the protests, the complaints, the concerns from rural America, from the ethanol and biodiesel industry has reached the White House, the highest levels of the White House, evidently. We're going to talk with Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters about that story. Uh, he helped break yesterday. He'll be joining us later on in the program. We'll also be talking about that today with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. A part of the story is EPA's continuing insistence that these RFS waivers are not hurting biofuels demand. And we're going to get Brian Jennings' reaction to that. Certainly the biofuels industry strongly disagrees and we'll talk about that with brian jennings also we have more numbers coming in the the pro farmer crop tour is going on and we're getting some numbers uh, from uh, several states we're going to talk about that and the markets with arlen suderman chief commodities economist for intl fc stone so a lot of ground to cover here on today's program we're going to start it off though by looking ahead to fall and uh, in some places, you know, starting to kind of get that feel already, and we're certainly going to be in a race with these late-planted, late-developing crops. Uh, hopefully they're going to make it to maturity. It looks like there could be some uh, high-moisture uh, uh, corn uh, coming out this year, and uh, already the thoughts ahead to drying and uh, getting ready for that. So we're going to talk now with Mike Newland. He is the Director of Ag Business Development for the Propane Educational and Research Council, PERT, Propane Educational and Research Council. Mike, thank you for joining us. Hey, good morning. How are you? Very good. I just, as I just said, it, it looks like grain drying is you know, maybe not that far away, and there's going to be a lot of demand uh, what are you telling folks about uh, how to get ready as far as their propane needs are concerned? You bet. Well, our overall message is communication. We are asking growers, and we put uh, messaging out over the last three, three and a half weeks now um, to really encourage folks to fill their tanks early uh, and to be communicating with your local propane marketer uh, you know, how the crop's coming, specifically what your bushels are looking like. And that's that's something that we are keeping a track of and trying to model a little bit is, is um, you know, we started the year with the floods in the west. Uh, we've uh, had a number of prevent plant acres across the Midwest. And um, internally our discussions are uh, we know that the – Propane per bushel dried is going to be up due to the wet corn. Uh, that story was written, honestly, on the day that the crop went in the ground late. We knew that uh, the crop was going to be late, and with normalized weather, we weren't going to, we weren't just going to be able to dry it in the field as uh, happened 
sometimes across the Midwest. So uh, that story was written on that day. So we're, we're tracking that. Uh, we're also taking a look at uh, prevent plant acres. How many bushels aren't we going to dry this year? So those are the conversations that we're having internally. But our message externally very much so is uh, talk with your local propane supplier. We're encouraging folks to fill early. The reason for that is we think with the late harvest, uh, we have a larger uh, risk of bumping up against cooled weather for home heat and uh, logistics in the propane industry is everything. So uh, we're trying to mitigate some of that logistical bottleneck, if you will, with grain drying and home heat with the higher potential to bump up against each other in this year. It's, it's interesting because on the one hand, as you said, you have the prevent plant acres, and then you also have what looks like it's going to be uh, reduced production on the acres that uh, are planted. So on one hand, that would l- kind of lend you, uh, kind of lead you to think, well, maybe that means uh, you know less less production, less demand for propane. But as we as you pointed out, as we've been, that's the reason we're talking here. Uh, those bushels that are going to be coming off, many of them are going to be high moisture, so that's going to increase the need for drying. So it's an interesting year on both sides here. Yeah, honestly, it's been an unprecedented year from the from the beginning of the year. Um, uh, in many ways, and that's that's the exact conversation that we're we're continuing to have. Uh, we've got some outside folks looking at that very equation of how many bushels aren't we going to dry, and, and you're exactly correct. There's going to be parts of the country where the crop comes off incredibly wet, probably wetter than we've seen, oh, maybe in 10 to 15 years in some neighborhoods, if you will. And um, so, yeah, it's going to be a challenge. I think from a logistics standpoint, it's going to be all over the board, meaning there will be pockets of um, a little more normal moistures across the country, and then there's going to be pockets where uh, it's incredibly wet just due to planning planning timing. So uh, it's going to be a challenge, I believe. What about supply and uh, logistics as far as getting it where it needs to be? You bet. Uh, supply is great. Um, in fact, we're as an industry, we have a lot of propane. We are continuing to try to find new places for propane. We've got uh, a fantastic supply. Uh, logistics are always the concern. Uh, you know, our product comes to comes to the endpoint on a on a truck, and um, when we get these big rushes of uh, consumption, that's always the concern. So. Uh, we've got a lot of smart marketers across the Midwest that are working uh, their plans to make that happen. And uh, that's one of the, the reasons we're encouraging folks to reach out to your local marketer. Have, a, have an honest conversation, a business conversation about what you're seeing in your own farms and uh, kind of what you're thinking for your grain drying needs. I think that will go a long way with your local marketer to make some of their logistics plans and transportation plans. And what about price? You know, price price has been very good, uh, and we track we track wholesale price. Um, price is incredibly good right now, so I think it's another reason to have a good conversation with your local marketer. Um, you know, we don't uh, we don't talk retail prices for obvious reasons. Uh, there's logistics in there. There's um, overhead uh, that varies from marketer to marketer. So that's a conversation you need to have locally. But on a wholesale level, we're in a very favorable spot uh, for for wholesale propane. All right, Mike, so good information. And we'll check back with you as we start getting into harvest and uh, uh, keep uh, 
everyone updated on the situation. But uh, now's the time to plan, to book, be talking with your uh, provider, right? Yeah, I would be a little more aggressive than in years past with your conversations with your local marketer. I think logistics conversation are always good, and I think the logistics uh, piece is the biggest piece we've got to work through this fall. All right. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. You bet. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Mike Newland, Director of Ag Business Development for PERC, the Propane Education and Research Council. All right, up next, Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. The RFS battle continues. We'll get the latest next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. In the fight against resistant weeds, you need to be prepared to fight back with the best possible herbicide rotation available. Kick off your soybean spray program with Syngenta's pre-emergence residual herbicides, Boundary or Broadaxe XC. Follow that with the hard-hitting post-emergence knockdown and residual herbicide Flexstar GT 3.5, and you'll be giving your soybean fields the protection they need to win the fight against weeds. To learn more, visit your local Syngenta retailer. Always read and follow label instructions when using Syngenta products. Have you or a loved one used Roundup Weed Killer and been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma? You may be entitled to compensation. Call 800-966-3316. In an August 9, 2019 Bloomberg News story, it was reported that Bayer AG is proposing to pay as much as $8 billion to settle more than 18,000 lawsuits, alleging its Roundup Weed Killer was responsible for the plaintiff's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Strict deadlines may apply, so call 800-966-3316. That's 800-966-3316 for a free case review today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Colin Peterson, joins us. I want to talk about the news late Friday when we learned that EPA has granted 31 more waivers to the RFS. And a lot of people very concerned about this. It's certainly not the support from this administration that has been promised. And a lot of uh, people uh, very upset about this. Mr. Chairman, thank you for joining us. What was your reaction when you learned about more waivers being granted? Well, I was upset as much as everybody else. and uh, I think it tells you something when they release this uh, after hours on Friday afternoon. And the most troubling thing about it is that they won't tell us why, you know, what the reasoning is. They won't give us any information about the filings. They won't even tell us what companies they give it to, what refinery they give it to, what the reasoning is. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell 
everything's changed at this time. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, the granting of more waivers to the renewable fuel standard by EPA the ramifications, the reverberations continue to uh, echo and reverberate throughout the country, all the way to the White House, all the way to President Trump himself. Story out yesterday that the president, in a meeting, saying that uh, he wants to find a way to address the concerns farmers and uh, those in rural America have about these waivers. Meanwhile, we have uh, ethanol producers laying off workers, idling production, in part, at least, because of these waivers. So there's a lot going on. Let's bring in Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian, thanks for joining us. Um, first of all, your reaction to more waivers, and then uh, your thoughts on what's happening now with the president hearing the, the complaints and the concerns of uh, the industry. Thanks for uh, the opportunity to, to join you, Mike. Um, my reaction to the 31 waivers uh, out of the 38 that were requested for the 2018 RFS compliance year uh, was that I I don't think I could get any more angry at this administration. You know, when the president visited Iowa in June to announce the 15-year round, he heard from farmers, he heard from uh, Southwest Iowa Renewable Energy, that that member of ACE, that, that ethanol plant in Council Bluffs, and they said, these, these refinery waivers are, are killing us. And we thought he would go back to Washington and try to uh, restore some sanity to how these are handled, Mike, because he had the EPA administrator, Andy Wheeler, and the Ag- Agriculture Secretary, Sonny Perdue, on, on Air Force One with him as he returned back to D.C. But to essentially rubber stamp 31 more of these without any meaningful uh, reform to how they are handled, I think was an incredible slap in the face to to farmers in rural America. And that's why you saw so many people get angry this last uh, week or so. You saw CEOs for major ethanol companies coming out and saying, we're not going to vote for this, uh, for this president in 2020. Um, we're shutting down or slowing down our facilities. And you noted that uh, we've got hundreds of millions of gallons of ethanol production offline right now, as you indicated. That means some folks aren't going to work at these production facilities. That means uh, corn is not being ground into ethanol at these facilities. So it's just further uh, increasing the damage. And, you know, responding to your question about, well, what do I think about the president's, you know, meeting on Monday and, and is he hearing from folks? I think he finally is starting to hear from folks. And I think the fact that, you know, the press uh, indicates, Bloomberg and Reuters have indicated that, that the president actually talked about trying to rescind these waivers Monday morning when he had his two-hour meeting with some members of his cabinet, uh, I think is incredible. Um, he should have thought about that, about the ramifications before he green-lighted these waivers. But we're going to have to continue to turn up the heat. And I will say this, until and unless 
Donald Trump thinks he is at risk of losing Iowa and other key um, uh, rural states in the 2020 election, we're probably going to see more of the same. So, folks, the heat needs to be turned up, and, and the president needs to hear it, and it sounds like he's starting to. Yeah, I think he's finally starting to get that message, that realization. And I agree with you entirely. Uh, unless he feels it could actually cost him votes and enough votes to cost him a state like Iowa, uh, I don't think he was going to do anything. But now I think maybe that, that possibility, that realization is finally set in. Brian, let me ask you about this, because EPA continues to double down in their claims that these waivers are not hurting the industry or not hurting demand. How do you respond to that? Well, we respond to it first by saying um, from 2017 to 2018, ethanol use in the United States fell for the very first time in two decades. Ethanol use fell when the federal law calls on ethanol use to increase year to year. And so it's clear that the refinery waivers have an impact. And my guess is when, we, when we're all said and done with 2019, Mike, we're going to see ethanol use fall for two consecutive years in a row. And I'm guessing that hasn't happened in well over two decades. And so um, there is legitimate debate, Mike, about the extent of so-called demand destruction because for ethanol, because one of the ways to meet the RFS uh, is to use biodiesel as well. So not all of the demand destruction is ethanol. Some of this is in the biodiesel pool. So there can be some debate among, among folks about how much volume is lost, but there is no question that volume is lost, and we're going to see that again uh, in 2019. We're talking with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Now there's been some talk. You said as you pointed out, uh, some speculation that the president even brought up the possibility of rescinding these waivers. We'll see what happens there. Uh, but there's also uh, the you know reallocation of lost gallons. But even if you figure those into, say, 2020, if you keep granting the waivers, you really don't gain, right? That's just it. This, this snowball has really rolled down the hill so far that it's going to take an incredible amount of time and work uh, to restore this if we can. One of the things ACE is doing, of course, and, and you and I have talked about this and we've joined with the corn growers and RFA and others, is we filed some lawsuits, multiple lawsuits, to try and restore or reallocate those waivers. And I feel pretty darn confident that someday... <laughs> We're going to win those lawsuits, Mike, because the law is pretty clear in the previous administration when they granted these small refinery waivers, and there were fewer of them granted uh, at the time, but they did reallocate the gallons. So the, the, the about face that the Trump administration has taken on not only issuing more waivers but failing to reallocate the gallons whatsoever, uh, I'm, I'm certain we're going to win this battle in court. But Honestly, Mike, that could be two years from now. Um, so the political pressure that we can bring to bear now from the grassroots, through our members of Congress, through the governors, uh, can be helpful. And there are ways for the uh, EPA to tack on additional gallons to the 2020 RFS compliance year, the 2021 RFS compliance year, 
sad truth is if they did that, that may actually get us a remedy sooner than we would get through the court system. Your annual meeting was last week in Omaha. What was the mood at your meeting? It was pretty sober at our annual meeting last week in Omaha, Mike, to be honest with you. You know, some of the very most efficient producers are are eking out a profit right now, but most folks aren't. Now, we have a lot of farmer-owned and independent ethanol plants around the country that have um, paid down their debt and they have cash reserves, but, you know, the question is with the corn prices as volatile as they have been and ethanol prices absolutely sinking because markets have been lost both here and abroad, how long can these facilities continue to burn cash? And I think we're starting to get the answer. When you have Poet, which is arguably the largest ethanol company in the United States, announcing closures of facilities or idling back to about 50% at the remainder of their facilities, and they operate almost 30 plants around the country, I think in seven or eight states, that is very damaging. Um, I have members that are operating way below capacity, um, and I think we're only going to continue to see this. Uh, and, and so folks were, you know, pretty sober about the realities of the situation. But I would say this. Ethanol producers, by and large, are much like farmers, and generally they're optimists, and they know that we're going to have ups and downs, tough times, but they also understand that we um, have a very valuable product that we can produce for um, the marketplace and that there's an opportunity to use a lot more ethanol in the future, both here in the United States and around the world. And so there was also talk about what do we do next and how do we turn the page and how do we go on offense and try to make sure we build demand for our product long term. All right, Brian, it's always good to talk with you. I always say someone ought to write a book on the history of the ethanol industry, Uh, but this chapter on the RFS, it's still being written, so I guess we have to wait a while before we could write that one, but uh, we'll see how it all turns out. Thanks a lot, Brian. Good to talk to you. Thanks so much, Mike. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. A little later, we'll talk with Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters about the story uh, that they broke this week with the president saying that uh, something they got to look at ways to address the concerns over these waivers. That's coming up. Next, we're going to talk about this from a market standpoint with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. Stay with us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95... I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me. Your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. 
Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. We're broadcasting in Mitchell, South Dakota, where Dakota Fest is underway this week. Grain futures were mixed in the overnight trade, higher row crops, lower in the wheat. The trade said to be focusing on temperature forecasts this week. In general, below normal temperatures are expected from NOAA for the month of September, but the DTN forecast sees warmer trends with the Midwest perhaps a degree or two above normal for the month as a whole. Current corn and soybean yield ideas are dependent upon normal frost dates or even late frost dates in many cases. If an early frost or freeze were to make its way into the upper Midwest, yield potential could be cut dramatically. It's likely we could see the markets react to model changes on temperatures heading into September. With our Wednesday numbers, here is Kirsten Rawl. On the Board of Trade, an hour into the trading session, we have sideways trade in the corn contracts. September corn down a half cent at 3.59. September soybeans trading three and a fraction of a cent higher at 8.59 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat September down a half cent at 5.03 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat September down three quarters of a cent at 3.86. Chicago wheat September down a penny and a half at 4.58 and three quarters of a cent. For livestock at the Merkin Live Cattle Futures, August trading 60 cents higher at 102.40. August feeders up 62 at 136.97. October lean hogs down 17 cents at 64.82. In the outside markets, the Dow is 228 points higher. The NASDAQ composite up 80. The S&P is up 23 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Kirsten Rall for the American Ag Network. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, You should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking... Call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. A lot to talk about with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL, FC Stone. Arlen, thank you for joining us. Uh, let's start off with some of the numbers we're seeing coming in this week from the Pro Farmer Crop Tour. Anything surprise you or stand out to you? No, nothing really surprising. We obviously saw some good crops in Nebraska. South Dakota has some problems. No surprise there. We know about the problems in 
Ohio, Indiana, and into parts of Illinois. We're into the central part of the Midwest right now, and 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 the early returns from Iowa are good as expected. What I'm most interested in now is really where we come out with Illinois. I think that'll really be a, a swing state, so to speak. Uh, we know there's a lot of problems there. How much good and how much bad, and how does it all even out? But I'm still not sure it's going to be enough to uh, convince these markets to turn around until we get the combines into the field. I think confidence is just really low, and uh, the funds want to believe that the crop is there and, and that this week's rains will probably fix the ills that uh, the crops have. Yeah, on the weather, we have some much-needed rain in places, but we're also getting some cooler weather. That is the big concern that I have at this point. As a former agronomist looking at how late these crops are this year, we need a a warm, not a normal, but a warm September and October for these crops to finish. And if we get a warm September and October, then the rains we're getting this week can really help to fill some of the deficits that are there. Uh, but right now, if you look at the forecast, uh, the one to five day is very seasonally mild. If you look at the six to 10 day, it's uh, for below normal temperatures. It gets mild again for the 11 to 15 day. And then the 16 to 30 day is quite cold. And that's really getting into the heart of September. And when seasonal temperatures are going down pretty quickly anyway, so many areas of the Midwest are going to be losing the heat units they need to finish these crops. Uh, it's a real concern for me. What about for the markets? Will they look at that? I'm really not convinced that they were. Now, it's it's really risky to just use 1993 as a comparison year because there are a lot of differences with the 1993. But agronomically, there are some similarities as well. The real unevenness that we have in the crop, the drowned out spots, uh, the uneven stands and plant populations through field, the delayed maturity, although the delays in maturity are in different places this year than they were in 1993. But overall, agronomically, there are some similarities more than what I first thought when I started digging. And when you look at 1993, the trade really didn't have a handle on the size of the crop until October. Uh, and we actually got in the fields and got enough harvest results. That's when we started to see that the crop simply wasn't there. And we carried over a much bigger surplus that year as a percent of usage than what we're doing this year as well. Um, we did have a, a frost scare in September. We had an early frost that year, um, but the market gave a bounce and then went back down again until we actually got the harvest results. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. All right, Arlen, this ongoing story about the RFS and the waivers being granted by EPA. Um, EPA continues to say they do not believe these waivers cause any demand destruction uh, to the industry. But yet we see Poet laying off uh, workers, idling plants, cutting back production. We see that uh, throughout the industry, both ethanol and, bio, and biodiesel. What are your thoughts from a market standpoint of what all this means, uh, the slowdown in the biofuels industry, whether it's from the waivers or lack of exports or whatever it is, what's the market impact here? I've been working with numbers long enough to know that there's different ways of looking at numbers the way you want to see them. And the way the market sees is the market sees simply demand destruction. Now, what's the reason for that demand destruction? 
certainly you can point to the waivers as being a factor. You can point to the fact that China has closed the door to U.S. ethanol and DDGs as part of the factor. That happened before the trade war started, and the trade war hasn't helped that. Um, you can point to the fact that farmers have quit selling corn in some of these corn deficit areas or where they fear it will be a corn deficit area because of production problems this year. And so basis has reached 70 to 80 cents over uh, the board in some locations, just totally destroying any margins that were there for the ethanol producers. So it's kind of an all over the above, uh, and it depends on which argument you want to make your headline for, for hitting your cause. But there's no doubt about it that uh, farmers feel betrayed by the president on this issue. And uh, he, uh, yesterday, you know, farmers have been behind the president impressively, so I would say, for taking on China. And uh, yesterday I posted on Twitter this, the Reuters headline that uh, President Trump had told his cabinet after a two-hour meeting, you fix this problem. Um, and uh, it was one of the strongest reactions from farmers that I have gotten over the years that I've been using Twitter over the past decade of just the outrage um, over this whole waiver issue. This is a very sensitive issue, and they feel like at the very least the president did them no help. Yeah, I want to say the president got the message this time, but we thought he did this summer when he was in Iowa and uh, said he would look at this, and that got a lot of hopes up, and that didn't work out so well. Uh, trying to th look at ways that he could remedy this or change it, of course, he could rescind the waivers perhaps, or uh, reallocate lost gallons in the next couple of years when the, the when EPA sets the levels for the uh, renewable fuel standard. That's always a possibility, too, unless you're going to keep granting waivers, and then that minimizes that impact. Yeah, and there's some statements out today. Apparently the president was told by cabinet members that they may not be able to rescind the waivers that have been granted. They're checking into that from a legal standpoint. Um, but, yeah, he has a real challenge ahead of him, and uh, he uh, certainly would like the support of big oil going into the 2020 election, but he needs the rural vote. And if you look particularly at a state like Iowa, which is so heavily dependent upon agriculture that uh, the urban population also tends to go with the rural vote, uh, this is a crucial for him. And uh, while I think he thought that he had their support uh, previously when he visited Iowa, he certainly uh, has some political challenges now in regaining that support. Uh, there's a lot of frustrated people. Yeah, because you not only have the farmers who are losing a market, but you have workers losing jobs at ethanol plants and biodiesel plants. That ripple effect through the rural economy is being is being felt. All right, we're talking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Let's talk about uh, this this bean crop, uh, Arlen. Um, these rains have to be helping some of these beans, but uh, we're back to that race with time, though. Uh, will it be? Will there be enough time to to bring this crop in? Yeah, I think it's a concern, and uh, I, I told our staff today that we're now facing a legitimate risk that we could be dealing with a green bean problem. In other words, when the crop doesn't finish right because it runs out of time and and you get a frost where the beans don't lose their green chlorophyll and uh, they go in uh, your harvested green and then you have some quality discounts. And so 
that's a real concern. On corn, it's heat units. On beans, the, yes, the range will stimulate some uh, some more pod set. Uh, the key is to have enough nodes on those short plants in order to do that. So it's not going to be like a, when you have the big full plants, you can, won't be able to put on as many, but you will be able to put some more pods on, particularly on the tops of those plants. Um, but will they have time to finish with this cool temperature? The bean plant is day length sensitive. It will try to finish. Uh, but it's going to be tough for it to do because a lot of uh, this last week's crop progress report was showing that it, what a, almost a, was it almost a third, I think, of the crop still had not started setting pods yet. That's a significant portion. Maybe it was my quarter, I guess, of the crop. That's a significant portion, and uh, it's it's going to need time to do that. But the takeaway here is, and you said this early on. Until shown differently or proven differently, the markets will assume that we're going to have a pretty good crop, right? Maybe not a record crop, but it's going to be a good. Uh, it'll be a good crop until they're shown differently. They're going to assume there's no reason to ration demand, and we lost 12 million acres of soybeans. We could see that planted acreage number drop a little bit more yet before we're done, and certainly harvested acreage could come down as well. But to that helps get rid of the big billion bushel surplus we're going to carry over into the new marketing year, but that still doesn't necessitate rationing with the slow demand we have out of China due to African swine fever, which allows them to continue to depend on South America and not have to come to the United States. So to really tight, to necessitate rationing with higher prices, we need to see a significant drop in yield. That is still very possible, but the market's going to assume all will be okay until proven otherwise. All right, Arlen, uh, we'll see how this plays out. Uh, but certainly uh, all these factors, it's, it's going to be quite a race here in the fall, and we'll see how this plays out. Thank you so much. Good to talk with you. Thank you, Mike. Hey, are you coming over to Farm Progress next week? I'm afraid that I will be traveling to other locations, oh. uh, so I won't be able to. Okay, sorry we'll miss you. Well, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you, Arlen. Thank you. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. So we've talked a lot about the big story yesterday of the White House meeting, the president saying uh, we've got to find a way to address this issue, the concerns of, of farmers and the uh, biofuels industry over these waivers. Uh, we'll talk with Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters, and when I have him back, they broke the story yesterday. We'll get the details next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. 
put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Hey, Ragweed, the fertilizer's really good over here. Ooh, better get it before that corn does, water hemp. Hey, corn, want some phosphorus? Oops! I ate it all. <laughs> if weeds are laughing at your corn herbicide, try Acuron. It silences the toughest weeds you'll come up against. Hey, corn, sorry if I got out of line. Unlike you. Get the last laugh. Talk to your Syngenta reseller about Acuron. Hey, water hemp, you're looking kind of yellow. Always read and follow label instructions. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids, parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors, waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us now is the Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association, Bob Deneen. Bob, I mentioned earlier... If this is the administration's idea of supporting the biofuels industry by granting more RFS waivers, I'd hate to see uh, what they would do if they weren't supporting the industry. Well, you're absolutely right about that, Mike. It is uh, baffling to me when you see how rural America is really struggling these days because of Mother Nature and trade policies and other policies from this administration for them to reward the most profitable industry on the face of the planet right now, oil, uh, and, you know, essentially have 
uh, U.S. farmers subsidizing the oil industry. Uh, it, it makes no sense. It makes no economic sense. It makes no policy sense. And I don't believe it makes any political sense for the president. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, so the big story this week on the biofuels front, uh, the president saying in a White House meeting that they need to find ways to address these concerns, complaints, outrage in some cases to the granting of more RFS waivers by EPA. From Reuters, here's Jarrett Renshaw. Jarrett, uh, take us into uh, that meeting, what you've learned, and uh, uh, how this story is going now. Sure. Thanks for having me on. So, so our best understanding is that uh, the president was advised that a reduction in the waivers from some 36 to 31 um, would would appease some of the critics in the biofuels industry. And I think we saw some, you know, comments, initial comments from Grassley and Ernst, who, who uh, I want to say applaud it, highlighted the fact that there are fewer waivers. But obviously, the the reality was that. 31 waivers was not going to be acceptable for the biofuel community, and, and I think in the in the days after that, it became abundantly clear that that was the case. And uh, the Iowa State Fair was at the time, and uh, clearly Democrats were seizing on the the angst in the ag community. And uh, if you see on Twitter and public comments, they 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 were highlighting the waivers and uh, trying to tar Trump with them. So I think the combination of all those events kind of uh, culminated in a meeting on Monday with uh, former Iowa Governor Terry Branstad and others. And I think my best understanding is that Trump was kind of laid bare that, you know, maybe the advice he got on the the fewer waivers was bad and it kind of laid out the the politics of that. So that's that's what we know. Uh, What we don't know necessarily have a great handle, at least what I don't have a great handle on is kind of the, the so what part of this. Like, it seems to me there's going to be some, you know, they're going to take some measures to try to mitigate the um, the small refining waivers. But I don't think we have no reason to believe that the, the waivers are going to be repealed in any way. Um, so I think it's just what are ways they can get more ethanol into the marketplace. And I think those are the options um, that are being discussed. And quite frankly, I don't I don't have much detail on, on, on what on what each specific option is. But conceptually, I think they just want to try to find some way to get some more ethanol into the marketplace to offset what they believe is, uh, at least some folks believe is, some demand destruction caused by the waivers. Yeah, we can, we'll talk demand destruction in a moment, but do you think that the political realities of this, have, uh, the, the president's finally realizing this could hurt him, whether it's in Iowa or throughout the Midwest? I, I think so. I mean, if you look, uh, like, I, like I said, if you look on some of the Twitter handles on, on, on some of the Democratic presidential candidates, who would have thought small refining waivers would be a, a political issue, right? It's a little niche program, but clearly um, it has uh, you know, outsized importance in, in states like Iowa, and Iowa is a key state. Um, so if you look at all the, the, the public comments in the last two weeks, that you know, Democrats are, you know, they're, they're sophisticated folks. They're, their teams are sophisticated. 
and uh, they're going to they see an opening and they're going to jive right in and uh, and force Trump to play defense on this. And I I think the as you know you talk to folks every day the you know uh, the anger is real right um, mm-hmm. psychologically it's having an impact on folks in Iowa corn farmers ethanol producers soybean producers bio diesel producers and I know we're going to get the demand destruction but you know they obviously feel this having bottom line and. Uh, the Trump administration has to deal with that in some way. Yeah, well, let's talk about the debate. There's There are those on both sides of this, whether or not these waivers are destroying demand. Uh, it's hard to – maybe it's hard to – I don't want to oversimplify it, but I don't know how you can lose that many gallons and it not impact demand in some way. But uh, let's get into it. It's driven down the prices of RENs, and then you get into whether or not – what impact that has. So there is a debate there. Uh, how do you read the, the tea leaves on that one? Sure. I mean, I think it was uh, pretty, um, I don't want to say unprecedented. That's probably overstating it. It was extremely noteworthy um, that the EPA put out a statement yesterday saying no demand destruction, right? So there's clearly camps within the administration, EPA being one of them. Um, and for them to put out such a statement, I think, you know, was a signal that, they uh, they believe the side of the argument that these waivers are not having any impact on the amount of ethanol that is consumed in the United States, um, and and it's also they would they would concede that it's having a impact on rent prices, and therefore a downward impact, and therefore helping uh, the refining industry comply with the program. Um, so you know, and so in their perception, they think this is a you know a win-win. Uh, no, no demand destruction, and, and it's helping refiners comply. You know, obviously, like I'm with you, Mike. There, there is some, there has to be some, some evidence that some, some demand destruction as a result of this. Um, and, but the data is the data, right? And uh, you know, ethanol consumption is 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 rather steady. Um, and uh, I think the best argument, at least the most compelling argument to me, is like proving a negative, which is like if not for these waivers, demand demand will be up, uh, and, and E15 would take a little bit of hold. So I think – but that's harder. You, you can't put that on a chart, you know. And, and so I think that's – I think the ethanol industry and the biofuel industry is losing the data war at the moment, and I, and I think that doesn't help them. And I think they got to figure out a better way to explain the demand destruction. Um, I'm not convinced the layoffs and the plants idling is not just a result of overproduction and oversupply. Um, so – they have to find out a way to kind of explain that to me, you, to, to the president, to everybody, um, more specifically on that demand destruction. So I'm not, I'm, I'm up to this point not really convinced there's math that explains it yet. Jarrett, great reporting. Thank you so much for coming back on with us today to give us a, a look uh, kind of behind the scenes and the insight in, into this big story that we're going to be talking about for some time to come. Thanks a lot. Great job. All right, Mike. Take it easy. Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters. And again, they had the big story yesterday. It's easy to see, I guess, uh, uh, if EPA is telling the president there's no demand destruction, then the president probably did think uh, he was safe in uh, allowing those uh, waivers to be granted. But now he's feeling the political heat on it, and we'll see what the next step is. We'll talk more about this story and more coming up tomorrow right here on Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day, everyone.